Austin, do you remember how long it took me to find a podcast platform for us? Forever. I ended up finding one called Anchor, and I initially chose it just because it was free. But it also has a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. They also distributed for us, so that's why we ended up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of our other places. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to tell you about some things that we didn't fully learn in history class. Either because it was just too weird, too risque, or just something that they weren't going to cover. Or in my case, because of sexism. Oh, uh, in my case, because the English and those people with all the Bibles wrote down all the history and they did not cover this because we were too busy burning down their monasteries, whatever. (laughs) But before we get to that, we've been watching Jeopardy nonstop on Netflix. So much Jeopardy. Okay, first of all, we should be taking notes for future pop. Uh, podcast episodes when we're doing that but we haven't been because we're stupid which is proven to us every time we watch one of the college tournaments uh and this is like after we had just gotten done watching like the teen tournament and i was like i know every answer to this i would have kicked butt against all of these 14 and 15 year olds i did love that they had eighth graders on it though they were so terrified they were so sweet and trying so hard up against those seniors you got keep going guys you're awesome yeah but we also noticed one other thing which is you phrase your answer in a form of a question but the question you're giving the answer that you're responding to is the worst possible answer to that question it's like what are bees what are eggs Benedict or scrambled? That doesn't tell me what an egg is. No, so I really kind of feel like if you just reverse Jeopardy, so it's just these people asking questions, and it was just Alex Trebek giving awful but correct answers, it would be perfect. (laughs) Which is kind of what our podcast is. We give awful but correct answers. Yeah, that's why you don't use us on tests. Although our stuff might help you on Jeopardy, because this is more that kind of stuff. It might help you on Jeopardy. Just uh, pretend there's a timer and some catchy music. I've made up a song for myself every time I get a right answer, which is basically all of my knowledge is useful (laughs) because I don't tend to know things that are actually helpful in any way, but by God, I would rock on Jeopardy. You would. We should try out for Jeopardy. I actually tried out for it once. Really? I did not do well, but my friend who I went with progressed to the next round. Okay. So last week, I started by talking about impeachment, and dear God, things have gone absolutely bananas since then. You you timed that real well. We... I kind of wonder if I caused it. Do you think, like, Nancy Pelosi listens to our podcast and was like, oh, that's how this works? Nancy Pelosi totally listens to our podcast. Yep. Uh, we're putting that in our advertisements now. It's like, will this be on the test? Nancy Pelosi totally listens to us. <laughs> See, I'm thinking it's more because... Being a teacher for so long, I learned to not express anything remotely political publicly. Like the most political and dangerous I got was, hey guys, don't be jerks to each other. Whoa, that is very political and dangerous. You'd actually be kind of amazed. No, no, no. I I even tried to stay away from being political last time. 
but obviously some political stuff sneaked in because it was so timely and now everything's kind of blown up. So if things go well, it's totally because of me and our podcast. If things go badly, it has nothing to do with us. It's because I followed it up with a story about hoarders. If I kept going, maybe you would have had the energy. But no, I ruined everything. You ruined everything. everything. You, you stupid, stupid bitch. <laughs> well, since I started last time, the whole point is that Austin starts today. I get to start this time. Okay, hopefully this doesn't cause things to happen like yours did. Because mine is about the Vikings. I mean, worse things could happen. I don't know. I mean, Vikings... They did a lot of, like, awful things, like what with the burning, looting, raping, and pillaging and taking of slaves. But Vikings did a lot of, like, a lot of exploration, a lot of trading. They did a lot of, like, inventing. And they also had a remarkable system of laws. And for, like, a medieval European society, women had a ton of rights and freedoms that were not around for hundreds of years everywhere else. Yeah, you might cover this, but weren't there some Viking female leaders? There were some Viking female leaders, and they found some skeletons of Viking warriors that were totally women. That's fantastic. So we're not going to talk about like all the stuff Vikings did. We're going to talk a, oh. about a very specific Viking and all of the shit that went down when the Vikings attacked France. Uh, this week we are joined by Draco instead of Fezzik. Draco likes to help me edit the podcast, so if anything ever is weirdly cut out, chances are he put his paws on the keyboard and I didn't realize it. Hi, Draco. So yeah, the Vikings were like, they were doing a ton of stuff. It's largely considered the Viking raids were most prevalent from about uh, 790 to around 1066. This was partially motivated because there's not a lot of good farmland in Scandinavia, what with it being in the frozen tundra of the north. Which so, is, has a layer of permafrost underneath it, as I learned from Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yes. <laughs> so helpful. Our knowledge is useful. So part of it, there was not a lot of farmland and Scandinavia was getting crowded. So part of these raids were linked to that. And the other part, they think, is because there were a lot of Christian missionaries who were encroaching on their traditional territory, and it bugged them, so it was partially retaliation for that. Ow! <laughs> Draco is pointy. They are exactly 59 minutes away from feeding time, so he's getting desperate. It's very desperate. He just attacked. So... So remember, next time uh, a bunch of like you know people come to your door and try and tell you about all the wonders of Jesus, the correct response about a thousand years ago was to go and attack their homelands and steal all of their money. So you're saying that whenever a missionary comes to the door, I should put on one of those you know helmets with the horns and carry a oh, flask? They or... didn't actually wear helmets I with the know, horns. but it's so much more fun to visualize that. It makes opera better. I mean, you need that horned helmet for the Vikings in opera, but that's the only time. The Viking raids in France started around the year 800. Oh, I forgot to tell you who we're going to be talking about specifically. Vikings. A very specific Viking called Rollo, or Rolf, or Ganja Rolf. <laughs> so is this what the candy is named after? No. Reasons it might are be. better anyway. So Vikings started attacking France around the year 800. This was when Charlemagne was still in charge. That Charlemagne. The father of Pippin, a musical I've worked on. Sure, that one. <laughs> Most things I know I've learned from musicals. Oh god, that explains all of the Avenue Q things. <laughs> well, we all do know what the internet is for. Yep, podcasts. Podcasts! <laughs> so, where was, it? where was I? Oh yeah, Charlemagne was the emperor, so... He actually put in a system of defenses around the coast to prevent Viking raiders from like stealing all of France. And it worked pretty good. In uh, 820, they actually repelled a big Viking raid at the mouth of the Seine. So it was 
It was working. Then he died. So things they started to raid more. And then Louis the Pious died in 840, and things completely fell apart in France. So all of these French kingdoms were fighting amongst themselves. And the Vikings, the Vikings took advantage of that. They started raiding the, along the coast. They started taking territory. Basically, France gave up on the coast. It's like they seized the Vikings. They founded a colony in Gascony. What's Gascony? It's a part of France. I don't know a damn thing about France. There's lots of French places in here that are in France, and that's the important part. So the Jeopardy question would be, what is France? And your answer would be Vikings. Yes. <laughs> oh, you are getting ahead of yourself. But yes. <laughs> so they had a colony, and they also started pillaging monasteries because they were easy pickings, full of treasure, and those monks... With their silly haircuts and their lack of armor, did not know how to fight, so it was easy to steal a ton of stuff from monasteries. So it's like, France is easy pickings for the Vikings around this time, and it goes completely insane when Ragnar Lofbrook besieges Paris in the year 845. These guys all sound like dragons. They are. That's like, Vikings have the best names. And like, they come to get some, finally gets down to my family, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're Austin. <laughs> Like, dang it. So yeah, he reads a, reads a raid on Paris with 120 ships and about 5,000 men. They sacked Paris and basically took Paris hostage and refused to leave until they got a ransom of 5,670 pounds of silver. Butt ton of silver. And they thought, cool, the Vikings went away. We paid them off. They're not going to come back. That didn't work out for them. There were actually four more sieges of Paris in which they had to get paid to go away. And this is the time where... Rollo comes in. He was called Gange Rolf, which translates to Rollo the Walker. So not Ganja Rolf, like Gange. you said it earlier. Yeah, I, to I don't. Okay, I don't know how to pronounce a lot of this stuff. So like, back off. Maybe that's why you're named Austin as opposed to Ragnar, like your Viking ancestors. Actually, fun, uh, my uncle, uh, my grandpa wanted to name my uncle Thor. Grandma shut that the fuck down. <laughs> oh come on, Grandma! I know. I love her, but I can't have an Uncle Thor. Rollo the Walker. You know they called him Rollo the Walker? He was too big to ride a horse. This guy was a giant. There weren't horses big enough for him to ride. So obviously they'd never been to the Budweiser factory and they so they didn't steal any of Clydesdales. No. Well, I mean, they, they, they never made it to St. Louis. If they made it to St. Louis, Rollo would have had a sweet-ass ride. And they would have gone to a lovely fair there. And everything would have been different. He would have, like, you know, laid siege to the arch and demanded a thousand pounds of silver before he was allowed to ride the elevator back down. <laughs> he couldn't have fit in the elevator. He, he would not have been able to fit in the elevator to get to the arch. But it sounds like he's big enough that he could have just climbed it. Oh, yeah. Huge guy, charismatic Viking leader. We don't know, ex we don't know a ton about him before he started doing stuff. Okay, this is what we know. We are like 90% certain he's Danish. Simply because his grandson was named Robert the Dane. And there was a contemporary historian who was around where he was when he wrote a biography of him that claimed he was from Denmark. But there's also a bunch of historians from around this time that claim he was everything from Swedish or Norwegian, or even one that claimed he was a lost king of Scotland. I would believe that. So we don't know a lot, and we're also in that time of history where we don't know if what people wrote down was completely accurate. But around this time, he started raiding France in 876. He sacked Breton France and seized the city of Rouen. So, you know, Is that the name of the city, the yeah. city of Rouen? R-O-U-E-N. Oh, okay. Uh, he also laid siege to Bayeux. Like Scott Bayeux? B-A-Y-E-U-X. Bayeux? 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 
I don't know. French. They're going to have an entire country mapping by the end of this. I don't think they listened to us. We probably offended them somehow before even this. Is it because I implied that champagne was not specifically just a sparkling wine from the Champagne region? Oh, I was thinking Cologne, which was in Germany, so... The smelliest city in Germany. He leads each other there, which is where he met his wife by kidnapping her and marrying her. But she would be... It apparently worked out because she was the mother to his heir. I don't know if I'd call that working out so much as sex slavery. Yeah. His son, though, was named William Longsword. They had some high hopes for him. Yeah, uh, he, he kicked a lot of butt. His entire family kicks butt. So then he joined a big Viking raid on the city of Paris. This was the fifth siege of Paris in 885 to 886. Uh, this is where we get the first actual historical records of him instead of just what we heard after the fact. Because he was, he was one of the leaders in this siege. One historian claims there were 700 ships and thirty to 40,000 men in this raid. But... Other contemporary historians said that this guy was full of shit and exaggerated. It was probably only about 300 ships and maybe 15,000 men. Oh, come on, guys. You can take that. So they asked for a bribe from King Charles to, like, just not lay siege to Paris. He refused because, you know, they had had enough of these Vikings just asking for their lunch money. And plus, I mean, Paris, France was kind of in shambles. There was not a civil war, but a lot of unrest and revolt and, like, squabbling royals. That seems to happen a lot in France. Like, it's a long period of nothing that we learn in history class, and then it's some kind of revolt. Yep, France is revolting. Literally, in this case. But anyway, the Siege of Paris. I am shocked they have not made a movie out of this. Because the leader of Paris, a man named Odo, only had 200 men to defend Paris from these Vikings. They had like recently built a couple of bridges, they had towers to defend the bridge, and they had walls around the city, so it was def more defensible than it had been in the past. But he had 200 men against thousands of Vikings. And crazy shit happened. Like The Vikings, they set up catapults and siege engines and trying to knock down walls and towers and just firing into the city. The city was defending themselves by pouring hot tar onto them, which is really cool. There's at one point a bishop joined the fight against the Vikings, and he was running around with an axe and a bow, and he planted a cross on the battlements in order to rally the troops. This sounds more like an episode of Drunk History than a movie. I mean, it could honestly be an episode of Drunk History. I haven't watched all that show yet. At this point, the Vikings were trying to take these bridges, but they couldn't because they were defended by these towers, and they kept getting repu repulsed, and things weren't working. And also, they weren't hugely disciplined, and big groups of them would decide and go to just raid the countryside and steal shit. So they actually lit some of their boats on fire to try to ram them into these bridges so they could burn them down. It didn't work, but it weakened the bridge. Later, a rainstorm actually knocked down the bridge, and there were 12 defenders in this tower that was defending the bridge. They were cut off. The Vikings gave them a chance to surrender. They decided not to and were killed. How did they think that was going to end? I don't know. I mean, the entire time, like, they're sneaking men out beyond the Viking lines, trying to get people to help. And at one point, Henry of Saxony does send some men to help, but he's marching through the winter. And when he arrives, his men are sick and tired, and he launches one attack that is repulsed and just does nothing else after that. Repulsed. <laughs> repulsed, I say. Re Repelled. Yeah. Both work. Do they? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so the, he, he had his ass handed to him by the Vikings. But Viking morale was low. And one of the Viking leaders decides at this point he's just going to give up. And he accepts a bribe of 60 pounds of silver. 
and leaves with his men. So then, like, Rolo is one of the only people left with his guys. 60 pounds of silver is, like, the equivalent of what all of our cats weigh. That's a lot of silver. But not nearly as fun as cats. And plus, they'd also been, like, you know, sacking the countryside, so they've gotten a lot of stuff already. Burninating the countryside? Burninating the villages. So then spring came. It is springtime in Paris, and that means diseases started popping up everywhere. So Paris was in even bigger trouble because people were dying of these horrible, horrible diseases. But then... King Charles decides to lend his support. And just there's like, all sorts of stuff happens. There's like fighting in these Viking trenches. Henry of Saxony does die at this point. He's captured and killed by the Vikings. But they do eventually manage to encircle the Vikings. Oh no, is it over for our boy Rollo the Walker? It is not. Because Charles doesn't want to fight the Vikings. He doesn't want people to die. He lets them escape, flee back away. But this is the brilliant part. They sailed into Burgundy which is another region of France, which was in revolt. So they just decided to steal everything from Burgundy. And then once they had had their way with Burgundy, uh, Charles gave them 700 pounds of silver to leave France, which they did. So Roll of the Walker, that was his big bursting out of the scene in history, was the Siege of Paris. That was crazy and awesome and just wacky. It doesn't end there because Rollo didn't stop raiding France. He kept coming back and coming back. And in the year 911, he tried to lay siege to the city of Chartres. It didn't go well. He ended up getting repulsed. Allegedly because they waved the Holy Virgin's tunic and it incited the peasants to rise up against the Vikings and drive them off. They had like the Virgin Mary's shirt? Yeah. Some of her old laundry they just had laying around and decided to wave it around. And that made the peasants rise up against the Vikings and fight them off. But in reality, it was probably because King Charles the Simple was showing up. Why don't we up... name them stuff like that anymore? Well, it's he was named Charles the Simple not because he was stupid, like we would call someone simple now, but because he was straightforward. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So it's just kind of a lost in translation, like whoopsie doodle. I think I should use the term whoopsie doodle more often. We don't hear that very often. It's probably because it's a ridiculous word. Whoopsie doodle. That's not nearly as ridiculous as some of the words that have been made up on the internet in the last two weeks. So, Oh, the internet. It's not just for podcasts. (laughs) So Charles Simple is showing up with his army and cavalry. So Rollo decides it's time to retreat. They're falling back, but they can't fall back fast enough. They're trying to get on their ships, but the cavalry is closing in. So he decides he's going to kill all of the livestock they have on their boats and make a barricade out of dead animals. That's the worst thing I have ever heard. What makes it worse is that it worked. That would work on me too. It's like the horses would not go near this horrifying charnel wall. Horses are smarter than people. Yeah. So it worked. And more importantly, uh, Charles the Simple was so impressed by Rollo the Walker that instead of just like attacking them, they decided to reach a peace deal. Two if they made a wall of dead animals. Yeah, it's like, oh shit, they made a horse wall. We we got to talk to this guy. We can't fight him. We cannot fight oh, this giant. Oh god, the smell. Yeah. So they reached a deal in which Rollo would actually be given big chunks of northern France on the condition that he defend the Seine River and France from future Viking raids. And also that he convert to Christianity, which he converted to Christianity and was baptized and was totally Christian. He wasn't. Yeah, that doesn't seem like something provable. You can go to church every Sunday. You can be baptized. It doesn't mean you're Christian. And of course, again, at this time, France was fighting itself. And uh, Charles the Simple didn't really have a claim on this territory. 
But he just gave it to him anyway and got a pretty like strong ally and defense from Viking raids in the future, which it kind of worked because Viking raids still happened. And also Rollo the Walker and his descendants just wrecked shit in northern France for years. Which, by the way, this part of France is now named after the Northmen who lived there, who later became known as the Normans. So this was Normandy. We can pronounce that one. Yeah, Normandy. And so it worked for generations. Like, Viking raids pretty much stopped. They weren't as effective because they had the Normans defending it. And also, fun fact, in the year 1066, you know what the Normans do? I actually don't know anything about the year 1066. <gasps> okay, the year 1066... <laughs> is the year of the Norman Conquest, in which the Normans go up, go to England, and beat the shit out of the Anglo-Saxons, and become kings and queens of England. I honestly don't know how I don't know about any of this, because I took several world history classes and a British history college class. Oh my god. But he spent 99% of the British history class talking about his love of Margaret Thatcher. Ew. This was William the Conqueror, Rollo's great 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 grandson. I think there might be a couple more greats in there, but it was like you know, same family. And to this day, Rollo's ancestors still sit on the throne of England. His <laughs> That's terrifying. His ancestors still sit on it. Is that like the wall of dead animals? Yeah. Um, the Queen of England is sitting on a pile <laughs> of dead royalty. <laughs> no, yeah. The Queen. Uh, Liz is sitting up there like this is why I live forever. Yeah. So Liz is his descendant, and so are. All of the current royal families in Europe can trace their, like, ancestors back to Rollo the Walker. The Viking who was so swole he couldn't ride a horse and annoyed France to the point where they gave him a piece of France to defend France. I love everything about that. And it really worked because, like, the Vikings, a lot of this was because they didn't have farmland. And France has farmland. This was, like, a smart all-around deal by Charles the Simple by talking to the scary, scary giant man instead of trying to kill him and his palace of horse flesh. <laughs> so that is history, which is probably why we didn't learn this. So are you ready for some questions? Yes. Will the wall of horses be on any test? I think so. If we're learning about this in the first place, that's kind of important. It won't go into detail, though. Will the fact that the Northmen are why it's called Normandy be on the test? Yeah. And will the fact that Elizabeth II can trace her family all the way back to Rollo the Walker? That will be on the test, but the fact that she's sitting on a pile of their ancestors won't be. <laughs> I mean, you can't prove that's not what they do. Have you ever seen the palace? I've been to London twice, and there Did are a lot Did you see the pile of corpses? I mean, all of London is just a pile of corpses, which is part of why I love it there. Oh, and that's what I love about Europe. Everything is built on a pile of corpses. <laughs> and will the fact that just paying your bully the lunch money does not stop them permanently be on the test? Well, bullies just need to find understanding. They they don't need your money. You, they of, need hugs. Yeah, speaking of bullies, I need to go bug a cat who's fighting. They're not fighting. They're tearing at the chair. Draco, it is not time to eat yet. He disappeared. He knew he was in trouble. Mm -hmm. He knew it. So that was Rollo the Walker. I loved that. Yeah, we, could, we should probably do something about the Norman Conquest because oh, 
holy shit, it's crazy. And because you love it when you know something like so thoroughly and I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Dude, it was like in high school, in hilariously, I didn't learn about the Norman Conquest in history class. That was all English. English class is what taught me about the Norman Conquest. Yeah, it's amazing how much history English class really covers. Yeah. Like the only th reason I know about like McCarthyism is English class. Yeah. Because we never in in American history got past the depression. We never got past it. I'm sure that there are classes that did, but I never did. Yeah, it's like our history classes always, <clears throat> we'd make it to World War II, then like it'd be after spring break and everyone would stop paying attention. And every class just turned into, eh, let's just watch a fucking movie. Yeah, although I get that because I was a teacher for so long, sometimes you just need to put in a movie. Especially when it's nowadays, when it's standardized testing season, and it's been one after the other after the other. Some days you just gotta give them a movie. Yeah, what you get? Well, today I'm talking about Dolly Madison. I know nothing about Dolly Madison, except she was married to James Madison. She was married to James Madison. Cool, that's all I know about Dolly Madison. I learned a very, very little bit about her in history class in eighth grade. And then I was listening to the, uh, and that's why we drink podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I was listening to the ghost portion of it. And they were talking about Dolly Madison. And I'll talk about all of the ghost stuff at the end. But Dolly Madison, it, they're talking about her and she sounds like a badass. And I never learned any of this. So I decided to research her and it's not short. So just be ready. I'm ready. Now, I got a lot of this from Montpelier.org, Wikipedia, and FirstLadies.org, but I clicked through some other stuff, too, to supplement things. But overall, we don't hear a whole lot about the women who helped found this country. The only reason I knew who Betsy Hamilton was, because it was not Eliza, was because I actually read the green page inserts on the, in the history books. Wait, wait, wait. Who the fuck is Betsy Hamilton? Eliza Hamilton from Hamilton Musical, which you've seen. I've seen. Wait, her name was Betsy, not Eliza? Yeah, she went by Betsy. What? Yeah. Lynn, you've... <clears throat> no. Will it also blow your mind to know that there were not only daughters in that family, they had brothers? <gasps> and that Peggy Hamilton was a real badass. Peg Peggy Schuyler? Schuyler Peggy, yes, yeah, and I mean Peggy, Peggy Schuyler. Wow. Marguerite. I'm just shaking my head. I feel like I've... The entire... I, I just don't even know. I'm a, I'm a loss for words. You broke me. But we're not talking about them today. We're talking about uh, Dolly Madison. So you might have heard of, no, Dolly Madison snack cakes. They don't, I don't think they make them anymore. They used to be in vending machines. She was also the one who supposedly saved the George Washington portrait during the British burning of the White House. You might have heard that. Mm -hmm. You might have heard that she introduced ice cream to the White House. That's the kind of stuff we learned in school. Much of which might not be true. And I'll get into that too. Ooh. That doesn't change the fact that Dolly Madison was a boss. And like most of the people we cover, a complicated human being who also had a lot of flaws. Dolly was born Dolly Payne on May 20th, 1768 in North Carolina. She was the fourth of eight children. Though her name has been the subject of debate because it's spelled D-O-L-L-E-Y in modern spelling. They had it, they said, oh, it was Dorothy, or it was Dorothea, or it was Dolly with an I-E, or Dolly without an E. She was registered with an E-Y. She also spelled it without an E on her own wheel. Well, so. <laughs> but things weren't going well for her at that point. Her dad was a super Quaker. Like, Quakerism was his life. 
despite the fact that he was not raised in the religion and actually converted, unlike Rollo, when he married his wife. Yeah. So it, I thought Quakers were the ones where you couldn't have kids, but it sounds like they had many kids. Quakers can have kids. What do I think? Oh, Shakers. I'm thinking Shakers. I don't know anything about Shakers, but I can't imagine they can't have kids. No, there's one like weird religion where they... Let's uh, it's, well, it's, well, it's not go into it. Might be something to look up for another time, maybe. Yeah. He moved the family to Philadelphia, which was the center of the Quaker religion at the time when she was 15. Due to being a Quaker, he had actually freed all of his slaves prior to this time, which was still in the 1800s or 1700s, and tried to become a starch merchant, like laundry starch. But that failed, and he was kicked out of the Quaker religion because of his failed business. That is hardcore! Because they considered being in debt to be a sign of weakness. So he freed all his slaves and, because of his religion, tried to go into business for himself without owning other humans and got kicked out of the religion for not being successful after that. Before he died, he talked his daughter, Dolly, into marrying a man named John Todd, who was a Quaker lawyer. She was married to him for three years, had two children, but he, her newborn, and both of his parents were killed during the yellow fever outbreak in 1793, which killed half of Philadelphia. What? That is all I saw about it. Half of Philadelphia? Half of Philadelphia was killed by yellow fever in 1793, which was when she was 25. So by 25, she was a widow who had lost her husband, her in-laws, her father, and one of her two children. Wow. Fun fact... Uh, until her dad died, she had been helping her mother run a boarding house that was frequented by the founding fathers and other lawmakers. She became such good friends with Aaron Burr, or as autocorrect made it, Aaron Buff, <laughs> that she named him her son's guardian in May of 1974, right after, right, not long after her husband died, so that if her son, if she died, then he would have gone to Aaron Burr. However, that same year in 1794... This guy named Madison was like, hey, Aaron, that lady is super hot and I hear her family is dead. So can you hook me up? And Aaron was like, I got you, bro. And so Madison and Dolly were married that September. Aaron Burr, you just get more complicated and complicated the more I learn about you. They got married only 13 months after her husband died. But it's worth noting that because of the laws of the time, she was not really allowed to work. And since she was a woman, she was not allowed to be in charge of the money her husband had left her. His brother withheld all of that money, but still expected her to pay for all of the funerals and other expenses associated with the family. That dick! Mm-hmm. So she's trying to raise this baby by herself, unable to work with her brother-in-law keeping all of her money. When she got married, the day of, she wrote a letter to her friend with the first part, which she wrote before the ceremony, saying, yeah, I like this guy, uh, James, and he's super nice, and he's going to be a good dad to my son. Uh, But that's about it. And then she signed it, Dolly Payne Todd, which was her name at the time. And then after the wedding, she amended it to her new name and wrote, alas, with two S's. So she invented overdramatic text speak, I think. But by all accounts, she actually did love him. They got along really well. It was a really good partnership. They never had any children. It was so he was stepdad to her son and never had any of his own. At least I don't think he had any of his own. He'd been widowed already. He was also, I think, 17 years older than her or something like that. The marriage resulted in her being excommunicated from the Quaker church because Madison was not Quaker. And so she became Episcopalian. But she didn't care about that. She was actually never really religious. She moved into Montpelier with Madison and her sister, Anna, who helped her with a lot of the other things I'm going to talk about, but she doesn't come up in name very often. 
and went from being a part of a family that freed its slaves to owning over a hundred human beings. Oh. Yeah, it doesn't get much better in terms of that from there. When Madison became Secretary of State to Thomas Jefferson in 1801, Dolly became the unofficial First Lady because Jefferson's wife had already died. She never held an official title in his household, but whenever he needed a female co-host, he called on her. And in addition to playing co-host, she also played a large role in the fundraising for the Louisiana Purchase. Like, they were buds. She also became the hostess at the alternative social hub of Washington, D.C., which was out of her and Madison's home. Now, that may not seem like a huge deal because women were expected to play hostess back then, but she actually forced people from different parties to socialize with each other. She did not allow them to end in fights or cursing each other out or duels. Dolly did not play that game. They had to be nice to each other when they were in her presence. That's awesome. So the only reason shit got done was because Dolly made them hang out. And I feel like it was one big get along shirt. It's like, oh, no, not in Dolly's house. You don't. I don't know why, but I just imagine her like walking up behind Jefferson and smacking him with a ladle. Oh, I don't know why that made me think of this, but she was known for her style. So she would wear like the Jane Austen-y kind of dresses at the time, but she'd wear them in a little more colorful. And she also wore a turban, like a full-blown turban everywhere. It became her, her trademark style. <laughs> she was generally well-liked because she actually had opinions and voiced them, but she did so in a way that didn't scare people. Jefferson, however, was not a fan of social customs, and he started what I referred to yesterday to you as the world's dumbest scandal called the Mary Affair, M-E-R-R-Y, because he was supposed to, he was going into a dinner and you're supposed to escort the wife of the highest powered diplomat that's there. Well, he wanted Dolly to walk in with him. So Dolly was like, dude, you can't do that. And he insisted, he's the president, blah, blah, blah. So she walked in with him, which pissed off the British ambassador, Anthony Mary, because obviously. <laughs> now back then they didn't have texting, they didn't have email. So they went back to the UK and were, by all accounts, in many ways, these were guys representing the head, but one was the head of this nation. He was kind of in place of the king. So it was almost like he had offended the king of England and tensions were already pretty high. However, Dolly was like, oh shit, we can't let this happen. So she decided to befriend Elizabeth Mary <laughs> via the wife of a Spanish ambassador who was in our country after that and got her to bring messages to the Marys and apologize to this. And then when the Marys came back, she had them over for dinner at her house. So she actually stopped what could have been a major battle or even war with England, all based on Jefferson wanting to walk into a room with her rather than a British lady. That is nuts! I don't know if Jefferson was invited to the dinner with the Marys, but I have a feeling he was a bad house guest, so I doubt it. Well, he was always like, you know... Declaring the independence of the mashed potatoes. That's, that was bad. We'll just erase that. <laughs> mashed potatoes? Yes, he just declared independence from everything. He's like, this is mine. That's the opposite of independence. He was eloquent. He can get away with it. Eloquent in French and English and writing with both hands and both languages. That's probably something that's not true that I learned I, in history it, class. It probably is not true. Although I do remember learning outside of history class that he had a full dinosaur skeleton in his office. I hope that's true. It probably is. I do know that George Washington never knew about dinosaurs. George Washington never knew about dinosaurs? The first dinosaurs were discovered after he died. Dude! Yeah, that gives you like a really bizarre view on how recent things are too, doesn't it? Yeah! 
Oh my god, that means Rolo didn't know about dinosaurs either. He was a dinosaur. He probably, well, I mean, he didn't know a lot of things. He was, I mean, he was just an uneducated Viking who was really good at hitting things. Um, excuse me, Dolly Madison, to, by all accounts, didn't have any formal education either. She was definitely out of school by 15. Oh. James Madison became president in 1804, and Captain Tom, Tom, I think is what I meant to write here, Tingy of the Washington Navy Yard asked if they could have a dance and a dinner in celebration. Dolly was like, yes, let's do that, and helped set it up. It had 400 guests, and it became the first inaugural ball in everything but name. So Dolly started that, along with this Captain Tingy, Tingy, whose first name is probably not Tun. Dolly then redid the public rooms of the White House and began hosting weekly parties called squeezes <laughs> because they were so crowded with people from all political parties. Like I said, she made them play nice and you didn't want to not go because you didn't want another party or another person to be in favor. So they became really, really packed. She also would shame people who refused to come because they didn't like her husband's politics by making sure all the parties were ragers and ensuring that his supporters had a really good time and showed up in even greater numbers. <laughs> and so she said, such a rallying of our party has alarmed them, meaning his detractors, to a return. So she was like, all right, you guys aren't going to come. I'm going to invite more people on my husband's side. And maybe he'll start to like you even less. So she shamed them back into coming. <laughs> She would also flat out chill with the men there. This wasn't a men in one room, women in the other room thing. Even bonding with Warhawk Congressman Henry Clay by dipping snuff with him. They actually came to like agreements over stuff over a snuff box. People referring to it as her magic snuff. <laughs> and she also found a lot of people, jobs in the government, who just came to her and asked for help discreetly. She would find them jobs. So she actually helped shape the government. Cool. Then the British came and burned Washington. Oh, yeah, that whole 1812 thing. Yeah. So the Madisons moved into the Octagon House. They ran off in the dead of night from the White House, moved into this Octagon House. It's still there at 1799 New York Avenue Northwest in Foggy Bottom, which is part of D.C. It's like just on the street, kind of like the Prime Minister's house is in England. You can just walk past it. It's really neat. It had actually been serving as the French consulate at the time to protect it from destruction by the British because the British were under instructions to not destroy any private residences. So Dolly Madison reportedly sent her pet parrot there when the war initially broke out to make sure the parrot was safe. <laughs> she stayed in the White House where she knew she was in danger, but she saved her parrot, which I think is amazing because we would do that. I mean, absolutely. Except it's we like, would never have a parrot. No, it's like, we got to send the cat someplace safe. It could be dangerous here. Even Draco. Please, Gigi's our brave one. She's so brave and so stupid. <laughs> the War of 1812 was actually ended in the upstairs study of the Octagon House. And the Madison paid the owners $500 for the six months they lived there. Obviously, all of this meant that people who didn't like Jefferson or Madison began to spread that she was using her feminine wiles to make these successes happen. Because <laughs> it couldn't possibly be that people just liked her. Oh, no. They also started saying that Jefferson and Madison were more than friends because that made Dolly look bad. Like she can't keep her man happy to the point where he has to take solace in another man's arms. So she was using her feminine wiles, but she's not woman enough to keep her man at yeah. the same time. Dolly basically rolled her eyes at all of this and just kept things going. After Madison's presidency ended in 1816, they returned to Montpelier and con she continued her duties as hostess and helped Madison organize the notes on the Constitutional Convention, which detailed the founding of our government. 
Madison, of course, got increasingly ill, so she cared for him while she was managing the household and continuing to run all social events. She was awarded an honorary seat in Congress. What? Yeah. So she was technically, I think, the first woman in Congress. Wow. Oh, and she was the first private citizen to send a message via telegraph. Wait, what? She, they were friends with Samuel Morse. Oh, so cool. He, it was, of course she was. <laughs> so he came to her and was like, I want you to send the first civilian message from my telegraph. So that was her. Awesome. She introduced a lot of important people to other important people, including presidents and their wives. And she helped later first ladies learn how to do the job. However, they also had a lot of problems, including bad crops and her son, Payne, having a gambling problem and alcoholism, landing him in debtor's prison and over the course of all of this time, costing the family $40,000, which is about a million dollars now. Oh, They had to sell land in Kentucky and mortgage half of Montpelier to pay his debts. That's insane. Yeah, I'd be like, peace out, Girl Scout. He wouldn't be around anymore. That's her only son. And And he sucks. And he sucks. Madison died in 36. After he died, she copied her husband's papers for uh, editing and publishing and made a little bit of money that way, but not as much as she'd hoped. And so she moved back from Montpelier to D.C., selling Montpelier in the process to help pay to exist. However, she didn't free her enslaved people. She sold some with the home, gave some to her super awesome son, and kept some for herself. Dude. One of the people she forced to come with her was Paul Jennings, who became her butler and was forced to leave his family behind in Virginia. Oh, come on. So she, like, sold his family with the house or to her son and kept him. Paul Jennings would go on to later write a book about his experiences working with her and Washington, D.C. at that time in general. And she ended up selling Paul Jennings to Daniel Webster. Wait, Daniel Webster, as in, like, the dictionary guy? He ultimately allowed him to earn his freedom through the work that he did. So it was like, you do X amount of work, then you'll ultimately free you. So that's what happened to Paul Jennings in the end. Paul Jennings, though, would bring, like, things of food to Dolly Madison from Webster because she was really poor, like, dirt poor at this time. And he felt so bad for her that Paul Jennings, the person she had separated from his family and forced to work for her, gave her money out of his own pocket. Wow. That's how bad off Dolly Madison was. Which also kind of shows that she wasn't hated, even by her enslaved people, even by Paul Jennings at that point. He felt so bad for her. He was like, here's my money. Dolly Madison died at her home in 1849 at the age of 81. She was buried in D.C., but was ultimately reburied next to Madison at Montpelier. Now let's talk a little bit about the myths. Okay. The first one is, of course, that she was the first to introduce ice cream to the White House. That was one of the cute things I learned when I was in school. Yeah, there's a copy of Jefferson's ice cream recipe in the Library of Congress. Oh. And there is evidence that the Washington served it as well. Oh, actually, fun thing. Okay, I don't know if this is true or not, but I read that Jefferson invented macaroni and cheese. He brought um, like pasta, brought pasta making to America and was a big fan of macaroni and cheese sauce. So Jefferson invented macaroni and cheese. If that's true, that's his greatest accomplishment. I mean, so much greater than America at this point. <laughs> it was the invention of macaroni and fucking cheese. That would be more importantly the invention of America at any point in our history. Yep. Draco, stop scratching the chair. Thank you, sir. It was also rumored that she started the Easter egg roll, but there was no lawn to do it on at the time. Was it because it was on fire? <laughs> yes. It 
was just an Easter egg roll with a background of flames. <laughs> it's actually like a the cutout scene from National Treasure. So they're trying to do the Easter egg roll while the British troops are coming. It's like, sir, there's children and they've got Easter eggs. That's how we got hard-boiled eggs the first time. And they also would teach that she was the reason that the Star Spangled Banner got wrote because she convinced Madison to let Francis Scott Key go onto the truce ship to seek their friend's freedom when he saw all that stuff and wrote the song. No evidence about that either. Huh. Kind of hope that one's true. It might be. I mean, she, okay, she knew everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's like, she had the first telegraph. She knew Daniel Webster. Oh, yeah, she knew everybody. And so that might, that honestly just might be true. Like, Honestly, out of everybody back then was a Slytherin, but especially her, I think. Oh. Now regarding the portrait, which is the biggest story she's known for, you know, as the British burned the White House around her, she demanded that this portrait of George Washington be saved. You know, the one where he's looking at, kind of at the artist, has his hand out, and it's like, what the fuck are you guys and doing? It, was like, it, was like, it looks like there's a rift on the bottom of it, too. That actually, I don't know for sure, but they did have to rip it, rip it out of its frame because it was burning too quickly and they needed to save the portrait so they couldn't unnail it from the wall and they just had to break the frame and pull it out. So if it's got a rip in it, that's probably why, actually. Oh. So she supposedly was like, we need to save the portrait because it's a symbol of America. And then she ran off into a, a carriage by herself and got two men to take it. Well, she and they, those two men came on later like, oh, we did that ourselves. You didn't do that. And she was like to the newspapers, no, I told you to do that. I deserve my credit. Well, Paul Jennings <laughs> said that she only saved the silver. She had nothing to do with the portrait. And that the doorkeeper, John Sussat, and the gardener, Thomas McGraw, were the ones who saved it and still sent it off to those men for safekeeping, which really says something if his story is true about hierarchies, because this formerly enslaved man wrote, no, these two guys who were household servants, I don't know if they were slaves or not, I couldn't find that, actually saved it. And in a time when women were still such lower members of society, she still ranked higher than these servants to the point where she was given credit for them risking their lives for a painting. <laughs> so I'm just imagining Lady Grantham doing all of this at this point. Yeah, except she would have actually ordered it saved. I don't think she would have. I think she would have. But she, I feel like she would have made Thomas save it. When they asked questions, she's like snapped up with that fan and just waved at herself. While wearing an awesome hat. An awesome turban. Maggie Smith, I know we've never met before, but... If you would so kindly and very please be in a Dolly Madison movie, I would much appreciate it. Thank you. Austin would leave me for you in a second, Maggie Smith. I've known Austin since we were 17, and he has been in love with you this whole time. It's, it's embarrassing. Now, all of this, Dolly Madison tried, proved, in quotation marks, that she saved it by having her friend, Margaret Bayard Smith, Bayard Smith who was a journalist, print a letter that she had written at the time, which she got a hold of and then edited down to be published. <laughs> so whether or not she saved the portrait, we actually don't know. She might have had a hand in it. She might not have. What we know is that the portrait was saved as Washington, D.C. and the White House specifically were burned. We do know that servants were the ones who had to get it out of the frame and basically rip it out to do so. We just don't actually know if Dolly Madison had anything to do with it or if she just saved the silver. And I, that is the main thing we are taught about her in school. Huh. So she did all of this stuff where she was basically the societal glue that held together Washington. But we learned that she... Claimed to have saved a painting that she probably didn't save. Yeah, this woman 
formed the government in a very real way and got opposing parties to talk and get along and was, I believe, the first woman to have any kind of seat in Congress. But we learned that she might have saved a picture and invented ice cream or something. She didn't even invent ice cream. She just brought it to the White House. That's like... No, Jefferson had it. Jefferson, they already had ice cream. So she didn't even bring it to the White House. It was already there. Look, what comes down to is we just have these... She first... didn't even bring the milkshake to the yard. It was already there. Although... And Jefferson was like, it's better than yours. <laughs> Which is how she got the feminine wild accusations made. <laughs> No, I think she is just the first one we have a like menu from showing that she served ice cream, and they, it was pink. The ice cream or the menu? The ice cream. I don't know what color the menu was. Okay, good. Because like pink menus, that's very gauche. She was quite fashionable. And after all of this, I told you I'd get to the ghosts. Ghosts? I mean, obviously Dolly had a World War II ship named after her, and she was in the first group of Virginia women in history inaugural, inaugural class. But wasn't but she more- from North Carolina? Yeah, she was originally from North Carolina, but she spent most of her life in Virginia and D.C. Okay. However, more importantly, Dolly's still around. And she is actually one of the most seen goats, goats, ghosts in D.C. And she is the most mobile ghost I've ever heard of. Of course she is. She knew everybody. Firstly, there is the Octagon House, which is supposed to be one of the most, if not the most haunted house in Washington, D.C. She likes to hang out in the drawing room and in the front hall, and you can always smell lilacs when she's around. She also guards the White House uh, Rose Garden, because one of the other stories about her is that she was the first one to put in the Rose Garden. Remember, though, it's not the same White House now. Yeah. If they burned it down... I mean, you can... Roses, you can transplant them pretty easily. But there's no evidence that she was the first one to actually put in the Rose Garden. But in theory, she actually scared away a later first lady from the Rose Garden because she wanted to take out the Rose Garden. (gasps) So Dolly Madison hangs out there. And then she's also spotted on the porch of the Cuts Madison house where she lived at the end of her life. So you walk around D.C., you go to any one of these places, there's a good chance you'll see Dolly hanging around. Do you think Dolly Madison is haunting the White House currently? Yeah, I'd imagine so. Oh, I'm so sorry, Dolly Madison's ghost. It must be awful for you. I was actually looking up, trying to find more information about people who have seen her and stuff. I did find a pretty good, it wasn't her, but it was um, the Bush daughters and hearing ghosts and seeing ghosts in like their bedrooms. And to the point where they actually went to one of the people who'd worked in the White House for a really long time, one of the house servants. And she's like, you won't believe what we saw on her. And he goes, you would not believe what I've seen and heard in all the years I've been here. <gasps> I don't care if you guys believe in ghosts or not. There's no way you can't believe that the White House isn't haunted just because of all the high emotional stuff that's happened there and all the important people who have been there. Oh. It just always bothers me. People are like, this person haunted them. Like, they never lived there. They never went there. It wasn't built yet. I never, I never heard about hear about Abraham Lincoln's ghost being there, but I never heard about Dolly Madison's ghost. Yeah, there are a lot of ghosts there. So many ghosts. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's so many ghosts because Dolly Madison is just such a good hostess that these ghosts we, keep showing up? Oh, a no, ghostess? We, we haven't, we never published that episode. Isn't there a bear? Oh, no, that's, um, there was a bear involved. There was a bear involved. There's a bear at the Tower of London. Yep. Are you ready for some questions? I am ready for some questions. Will the fact that Dolly played first lady to both Jefferson and Madison be on the test? Yes. Will the possible myth, myths, possible facts about ice cream, Francis Scott Key, and the Washington portrait be on the test as facts? Those will be on the tests as facts. 
Will the fact that she was raised to not own slaves and then owned a shit ton of them as an adult be on the test? Oh, God, no. And will the fact that Dolly Madison was given a ceremonial seat in Congress be on the test? No. Really? Well, of course not. It's like, it was just, a, it was a ceremonial seat. And then they, it's like, then it'll take away from like the actual first woman to become in Congress, which I guess is after they stop giving a shit about history because it's after spring break. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I have for you today. What did you learn about Dolly Madison? I learned that she threw the best parties and basically made all of Washington, D.C. get along. Otherwise, they could not come to her great parties. <laughs> she was the most popular kid in school without bullying anybody for their lunch money. I mean, she might have bullied people for their lunch money. How do you think she paid for the Louisiana Purchase? She was like, sup, Adams, nerd, give me your lunch money. <laughs> Because John Adams was a nerd. Jefferson's standing in the back. He's definitely not the lead bully. He's like, get him, Dolly. Get him. So Jefferson was like the guy in the sunglasses in the back while, Ma while Dolly was like, give me lunch money. He's like, yeah, get him, Dolly. You're the <laughs> yes. best. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I guess what I've learned today also is that Dolly Madison is going to come and haunt me because I have besmirched her. So I'm very sorry, Dolly. Not wrong about Jefferson, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson invented sunglasses. He did? Wait, Guys, did he? No, that's not true as far as I know. Don't answer that on the test. Man, Jefferson invented sunglasses. He also invented snapping. And in di he invented dinosaurs. Jefferson invented the dinosaur. <laughs> so what did you learn about Rollo the Walker? I learned what happened in 1066 for the first time ever. You had to have learned that before. It's like... If I did, it was never focused on an effort to stick in my brain. You took an English history class. That's like one of the important England dates. Margaret Thatcher is the only thing that's ever happened to England, Austin. Dude, she's not even the worst thing that's happened to England anymore. She's the only thing. It is all is Margaret Thatcher. Oh. Margaret Thatcher is all. That's when I discovered the website is Margaret Thatcher dead yet existed. It, but important question. Is Margaret Thatcher dead yet? Her ghost hangs out with Dolly Madison. <laughs> <laughs> I also learned about a wall of dead animals, which I'm going to have nightmares about tonight now. This can't have been the first wall of dead animals. Probably not the last either. Nope. Well, that's what I'm going to take away from this too. Thanks a lot. Uh, before I forget, we want to give a shout out to the Hi Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast for having us do their intro this past week. We introduced their Hobbs and Shaw episode. Which, oh, Hobbs and Shaw, it's the spinoff of Fast and the Furious that everybody didn't know they wanted until it came out. Yeah, we haven't gotten to see it yet. We saw Dr. Sleep this weekend instead. Oh, Dr. Sleep was amazing. But like actual amazing. Not like Fast and the Furious, I want to see a car explode and someone talk about family. But... They are a podcast where they look at medical procedures done in films and review them for accuracy. So give them a listen as well. And we also want to do another hello to our new people who have followed us on Facebook. I think we're at 96 people now. 96 people. Oh, we might bring 100 by the time this comes out. Yeah, come follow us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash onthetestpod. We are also on Twitter at onthetestpod. And we Facebook and tweet about a whole bunch of stuff, not just are amazing ideas and brilliant commentaries. You also might see pictures of adorable cats. Or memes. I really enjoy a good meme. Or adorable cat memes. Is, 
the internet really for podcasts? Isn't it just about cat memes? I mean, the internet has two things, and only two things. Podcasts and cat memes. Nothing else, children. We have the whole of human knowledge available in our pockets, and that is all we use it for. Oh my god, but there's... Like, did you see that cat, Cinderblock, who they were trying to get exercise on that treadmill? And there was, and she was just, like, tapping the edge of it, like, meowing. It's like, get me out of this. Get me out of this. And it was the cutest. I understand her on a, on a spiritual level. Oh, yes. Cinderblock is all of us. There's also a cat that I showed you the other day named Duo, who has two faces. She's a Venus cat. Oh, yeah. So she has one head. She's not a conjoined twin, but she has two functional mouths, and she has three eyes. And I, w I was reading about her, and I'm like, oh, she has the same problems as our Gigi, but Gigi has no two faces excuse. <laughs> Gigi's, she's from a hoarding situation. She is, she is the most beautiful cat, but Lord, she dumb. Yeah, she can't quite figure out the litter box. We've tried everything. We've even had a behaviorist out, and they looked around her house. They're like, you have done everything we would have suggested you do. Although we're trying one of those indoor grass spots that they use for dogs, so we'll knock on wood, hopefully find a solution yeah. because we have wooden floors. So on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.